Welcome to tonight's episode of the Remso Martinez Experience. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to some of this episode's sponsors. From self-publishing to podcasting and passive income development, I offer ongoing self-development courses at Champion Pundit Academy, as well as one-on-one private consultations to take you from zero to hero in no time. Learn more at championpunditacademy.com. That's championpunditacademy.com. You want to know what you need more of in your life? Politics. Yeah, nobody ever said that. But if you've got to go ahead and spend money on one nonfiction book, it's got to be the ultimate clash of wisdom, awesomeness, and then obviously the politics. But why not a little bit of comedy? Why not a little bit of a memoir? Why not something that's going to make you say, hey, I actually enjoyed reading this. I laughed. I learned something in the process. Check out my book. It's an Amazon bestseller. You may have heard of it. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians. It talks about all the things you think you might know about libertarians, plus a lot of things that I bet dollars to donuts you don't know about. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. So go on right now. You can get it in print or ebook or Kindle or whatever you call it. Just go out and get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online today. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Happens to be me. Getting right into this 2020 season. Welcome back. This is the Remso Martinez Experience. I'm your host, as always, Remso W. Martinez. It's so great to have you here. I told you a few weeks ago we probably would not be covering much of the 2020 race, but much like my addiction to all things that are politics, we are back with another episode. This time we are talking about a very, very interesting coalition which may be occurring within the Democratic Party and Libertarians. Oh, sounds kind of strange. Haven't seen that for a while. The last Libertarian presidential candidate that we saw on the Democrats' side only lasted one debate, and before that, his name was Bobby Kennedy, and he was shot by communists. Before we go any further, go ahead and do me a favor. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Remso4, for written now, F-O-R-V-A. That's Remso4VA. Follow me. I'll follow you back. That way we'll keep going. Further with this discussion, try and make some waves where we can, thinking unconventional thoughts in an improbable world, talking about things that change on a daily basis. Today we are talking about the potential rise of a left-wing star. I don't even know whether to really call her left-wing. I will call her progressive because I want to go ahead and make things seem like they you know, aren't what they really are. I'll call her progressive because she is a progressive Democrat, but much like they are conservative Republicans, there are people on the right I like, there are people on the left I like. As long as liberty is your focus, I'm okay with that. And over the past year specifically, uh, from 2016 onward, the Democrats have been looking for that person to go ahead and go up against Donald Trump. And, you know, the Democratic Party right now, the field looks pretty, pretty weak because when we really think about it, the Democrats didn't expect to be in the situation where they have losers and people with no name recognition and have no real contributions, cloud or establishment, you know, bona fides that can actually go up against it because we were supposed to be living in Hillary's America. Um, So they're in a bit of an odd position, but 
you know, is everything just socialism from here on out with the Democratic Party since it seems like the Clinton wing just destroyed and immolated itself and ate itself alive? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's a way we can go ahead and get involved. If you do not know who Tulsi Gabbard is, I first learned about her when she was proposing bills such as the Stop Giving the Terrorist Arms Act with uh, my old boss, Tom Garrett. We'll go ahead and jump into this. I've got four articles I want to go ahead and, you know, kind of read to you today so that way we could flush out the timeline of thought when it comes to the ideas of should libertarians put their support behind one candidate or another, specifically a Democrat. That's something that hasn't really been discussed as of late. But um, the idea of should libertarians vote at all, should libertarians go for a Republican specifically, that really came out in 2016 with two major camps. There was a third one. There was libertarians for Ted Cruz, but um, that's that's a story I don't really want to talk about because it's not anything that was really that big of an issue. It was a hot, contentious problem for uh, five minutes with people. I was, of course, one of the libertarians that supported Ted Cruz along with a series of other libertarian commentators, a very small group of us, I'll admit. But it was primarily between, ironically, Rand Paul, who obviously, and we don't need to get into that, and Ted Cruz. And you had uh, Dr. Walter Block, uh, Mises Institute fame, and much more. He's written God knows how many books. He started Libertarians for Trump, specifically on the grounds of foreign policy, which he believed is the one policy field which dictates everything else, culturally, fiscally, you name it, everything hinges on foreign policy. And he was saying that Trump in 2016 was the Dove candidate. Therefore, libertarians should should support him in the Republican primary and then make up their minds from there in the general. Um, I'm making somewhat of the same assumption for this one. Why can't, because I don't know if anyone's going to primary Donald Trump. People are looking at um, Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, John Kasich of Ohio, Jeff Flake, Mitt Romney, I don't know. But uh, for now, we're just going to focus on the Democrats. And, you know, everyone and their grandmother who's a Democrat is probably going to be running for president. But I think if you're a libertarian, maybe you should consider looking at Tulsi Gabbard, maybe swinging her a few bucks and maybe doing a little bit of something. Who knows what? I'm not saying anything for her. But before you do that, maybe you should get to know her a little bit and make that assumption yourself. Make that decision on your own accord. I'm not telling you to do anything. It's not an endorsement. It's just a thought experiment. And you could take it as you will. Uh, First article I'm reading is from Reason Magazine. The title is Tulsi Gabbard Running for President in 2020. Representative Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat from Hawaii, a veteran of the Iraq War and critic of America's interventionist foreign policy, says she will run for president in 2020 with a message of peace. Very anti-Hillary, if you ask me. The article continues, CNN reports that Gabbard will announce her plans to seek the White House on Saturday's edition of The Van Jones Show. Um, a formal announcement of her candidacy will it will uh, follow in the coming weeks, Gabbard said in comments released by CNN on Friday evening. Gabbard says she will run on a platform that includes criminal justice reform. Okay, sidebar, that's good. Climate change? Uh, not a big fan of that. But she tells CNN that America's ongoing wars will be her fo- central focus. Okay, that I can get behind. There is one, and this is a quote directly from her, there is one main issue that is central to the rest, and that is the issue of war and peace, Gabbard said, according to CNN. I look forward to being able to get into this and talk about it in depth when we make our announcement. Gabbard has earned her right to be critical of those conflicts. In 2004, she volunteered for a 12-month tour of duty in Iraq while serving in the Hawaii Army National Guard. 
leaving her seat as a state legislature as a state legislator to do so. She was deployed a second time to Kuwait in 2008. And you know, as as someone that served in the military, comes from a military family, I have so much respect for somebody that was willing to leave an elected position like that to go serve our nation. So just on a personal level, I yeah, I love her for that. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Since entering national politics in 2012, when she became the first Hindu elected to Congress, she has been an outspoken critic of the bipartisan consensus on foreign policy. She opposed the Obama uh, administration's interventions in Syria as being part, and I quote, against America's national security, international credibility, economic interest, and moral center, end quote, and has called for putting an end to the Afghanistan war, as she puts it, as soon as possible. She's also reached across the aisle to do work with libertarian-minded Republicans such as Senator Rand Paul, Representative Justin Amash, to nudge America's foreign policy in a less warmongering direction. Gabbard co-sponsored the House bill version of Paul's bill to cut off firearm sales to Saudi Arabia and backed Amash's amendment to defund the National Security Agency over its warrantless surveillance program. Um, she's also been critical of her own party, calling out Hillary Clinton's track record of supporting foreign wars during the 2016 presidential primary. Gabbard said, Secretary Clinton has a record and positions that will take us into a future that will include more intervention, more interventionist wars of regime change. Gabbard told MSNBC's Rachel Maddow in March 2016. Gabbard has already secured a veteran of Senator Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign as her campaign manager. Okay, let's pause for a second. That's not looking good for Bernie if you're a Bernie bro and you're hoping Bernie will run because now she seems to be poaching Bernie's people. Um, getting back to it, Gabbard endorsed Sanders in 2016 after falling out with the Democratic National Committee over its handling of the primary and her opposition to Clinton's foreign policy views. You mean how the Democratic National Committee rigged the entire primary process to uh, crown Queen Clinton? Yeah, I, anyone that still doesn't really recognize that I've got a problem with. But I'm glad, yeah, good for her, good for her. Well, her support for Sanders' economic message may turn off libertarians for obvious reasons, it's difficult to imagine there being anyone in either major party who will be more critical of America's wasteful and seemingly endless post-9-11 wars. Her participation in the race will raise the profile of some important issues for which libertarians should be glad. And she she caps this uh, article off with, she's also got a chance to be a strong candidate. She's young and cool. She sur- she surfs. She wants to end marijuana prohibition and isn't afraid to be unorthodox, an non an unorthodox. Sorry, saying this a million times. An unorthodox, nonpartisan voice. She will certainly stand out in a democratic field that figures to be crowded, and she is absolutely right in that. Um, I'm. I'm, I I want to say I'm excited for her. I still plan on, you know, doing what I'm doing in terms of who's getting my vote in 2020, but uh, I, I personally don't think she'll get far because of her non-interventionist stance, and we've seen that anyone that is against the war state and everything else seems to, you know, get shut out early because those dollar-dollar bills, y'all, don't usually go, go in their way when you say you want to go up against the the powers that be but she could still be a net gain for libertarian values especially since i don't and you know i might be wrong been wrong before about things i still don't think that trump's going to be 
um, primary, but, you know, Trump's done some good things, done some bad things on this. But is Tulsi Gabbard going to actually be pushing somewhat of a liberty message in that? We've seen that she's good on the civil issues and she's good on the foreign policy issue. Uh, this article that I'm going to continue with was actually written up being libertarian last April. And just so you remember, um, I'm just skimming through the articles. I've already read through them, so I'm just going through them again. I've abbreviated them. I'll go ahead and include all the articles in the show notes, which we'll be able to go ahead and check out after this. This is Run Tulsi Run over at Being Libertarian. Gabbard is an intriguing, highly charismatic person, and the push for a presidential run makes sense. I'm not a big supporter and will not gush about how great I think she is, but I do think she is a political reality in the landscape of certainly wor- and certainly worthy of a lot of discussion. Okay, I agree with that. Good stuff. I believe she is very likely the frontrunner for the Democrats in 2020. Okay, that, no. I think it's going to be Elizabeth Warren because uh, Gabbard seems to have some integrity and I think Warren's going to eat people alive. Uh, and could very well have a shot to win the presidency. Nope, like what I said earlier, can't go up against the war powers at beep, folks. Sorry. Uh, let's give him a paragraph. Gabbard holds a couple of ideas I find to be quintessential libertarian social positions. She states, she states that she is personally opposed to gay marriage but supports withdrawing the government from making such determinations. And this article was just written last April, and I don't know why we're still talking about gay marriage. That's a done issue. That hasn't been an issue since 2015, so... Uh, maybe Democrats will have a problem with that, maybe, but that's not really a ballpark I'm very knowledgeable in. Um, do, 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 do. Okay, they might not trust her because of what they view as, you know, ambiguity when it comes to the gay marriage issue, uh, especially when it comes to the abortion issue. She says that she's personally pro-life, but she's pro-choice legally. Uh, through the narrow lens of liberal versus conservative, it's hard to place these positions on a flat line. And vehement pro-choice people in the Democratic Party have the same sort of struggle when most want a purist position. So basically, Cecile Richards or bust, I think, is going to be the big thing with her. That's why I also think that Warren's going to just eat her up in that case. Uh, while libertarians understand these positions well, based upon a two-dimensional, linear understanding of political positions, Gabbard is a mystifying figure on social positions for the majority of Democrats. Skipping another paragraph there. She is anti-war in the big picture, being very vocal in opposition to war in Syria and opposing continued U.S. involvement in Afghanistan and Iraq. But she also was openly opposed to Obama in his deal with Iran. That's what tells me, as a side note, that's what tells me she's smart because she saw Bast, Ben Rhodes, um, complete fictional echo chamber, and she opposed that, which is shows that she has a brain, uh, which was a very unfavorable position for Democrats to oppose their hero and idol on much of anything. And while she opposes war in general, she calls herself hawkish and strongly supports covert military action involving small forces and surgical attacks, something many Democrats see as a as distasteful operations within two uh, with too many collateral causes. Well, what do they prefer? Obama and drones? All-out boots on the ground? Normandy style? Like, what, what do they want? But, yeah, that, that's what they want. Uh, continuing, Gabbard is also decidingly anti, an anti-establishment figure within the party. She withdrew from being a party leader in order to better support Bernie Sanders when all the other party leadership were plotting to override his bid for president in favor of Clinton. Then opened... 
the open position she has had on occasion with Obama is a huge negative, not only to the majority of Democrats, but especially to party leadership. Another reason why. I mean, you're, the Democrats have, much, have a much better control over their people than Republicans do, even post-2016, when many of the Bernie bros have seen past all that. While being overall anti-establishment can be positive for her among common everyday Democrats, it can be a hindrance if party leadership does to her what they did to Sanders. Uh, I think now, since a lot of that stuff is in the open, I still think they'll pull their dirty tricks, but I don't think it'll be maybe as slimy as last time. I mean, they're always slimy, but I don't think it'll be as open and apparent that they're literally cheating as last time. Um, I, I also don't think that the Democratic Party actually thinks they're going to beat Trump. I mean, I'm going to put smart money on that, but, you know, weirder things have happened. Um, her large support of entitlement programs also overrides a lot of other policy positions for a majority of Democrats. For many in the party, support for things like universal health care and shoring up Medicare and Medicaid are more important than social or foreign policy. Entitlement programs are a very big deal in the party. Lastly, there is always a sentiment among Democrats and Republicans alike that their candidates should always represent moderate positions to make them more palatable for centrists, assuming that support from their party members is automatic and that independent voters are the ones who elect presidents. I, um, just a side note, I don't believe in independent voters at all. I believe that some people call themselves independent, but whoever you historically vote for the most is who you're probably always going to historically vote for. I'm not saying that for every independent or every voter, but I'm just saying, you know, I think we kind of over, overrate this independent swing. Um, Tulsi Gabbard meets with a perception that she is a political moderate and therefore a very desirable candidate to many Democrats. Overall, I think Gabbard is, very li is a very likely presidential candidate in 2020. Good job, author of this article. You were absolutely right about that. I didn't even think so, but you were right. Kudos. Overall, current sentiment and political mood in the U.S. strongly favors her, and I, I agree with that. Now, who does this sound like? If you have a memory of more than five years, who does this sound like? This sounds a lot like former Democrat senator from Virginia, Jim Webb, who was also an anti-interventionist, moderate, cool guy who got along with everybody, who just didn't get it going. And I think we really need to understand why Jim Webb failed because he is him and Tulsi Gabbard are very close on a lot of these things, including just personality when it comes to how they interact in the partisan world of the swamp. This is from New York Magazine, uh, their section for the intelligencer, why Jim Webb was doomed. Uh, this was written way back when during the Democratic primaries around the 2015 era, um, and I'm reading it now. If someone were to assemble a highlight reel of Jim Webb's time as a Democrat candidate for president, it would be pretty short. Outside of that Democratic debate last week, they're talking about the one and only Democratic debate in which Jim Webb actually participated uh, continuing his press conference Tuesday announcing he was dropping out of the race was probably his most widely covered event. Even then, the expectations were set low. The National Press Club, which announced it would be hosting Webb for an important statement about his presidential campaign at 1 p.m., provided a room with only 36 chairs. Twice as many reporters show, showed up. At the appointed hour, Webb came into the press room. His wife, Hong Lee, sat uh, next to him and took an extremely wide stance behind the podium so that his feet poked out from either side of it. He gestured to the frame, framed wooden peg, some aides held up 
behind him. Um, skipping the paragraph. Uh, Web turned and gripped the lectern. Some say I am a Republican who became a Democrat, but that I often sound like a Republican in a room full of Democrats or a Democrat in a room full of Republicans. Actually, I take that as a compliment. That's my best Jim Webb impression. Webb said, more people in this country call themselves political independents rather than Republican or Democrat. Uh, this was, of course, one of Webb's problems. Nobody seemed to know what he stood for, only that he did indeed sound like a Republican in a room full of Democrats. But it wasn't his biggest. Jim Webb's biggest problem is that he wasn't heard, period. And that is, an, that is a problem almost entirely of his own making. Over the year that he ran for president, he barely raised any money. He didn't build the kind of campaign infrastructure necessary to compete. And maybe most glaringly, he didn't seem to be doing any campaigning. As a consequence, he failed to register at 1% in polling averages. In the debate last week, Webb came off as, a petulant, as petulant and entitled, using his limited airtime to complain about not being given more of a chance to speak. Americans are disgusted by all this talk of Democrats and Republicans calling each other the enemy instead of reaching across the table, Webb said. Oh, I need to do my Jim Webb voice, sorry. I know what an enemy really is from hard personal combat. The other party is not the enemy. They're the opposition. In our democracy, we're lucky to have opposition. There's no opposition party in countries like China. He had a point, one a lot of Americans would probably agree with which makes his failure to do anything to get his message out there all the more confounding. In a campaign that has so far been defined by outsider politicians breaking the rules and getting all the love for it, there could be an opening for Jim Webb. But that would require certain flexibility and creativity about how to get his message out that Webb clearly did not have. And I'm going to go ahead and stop reading that article on that. I mean, two things to consider. One, they were never going to give Jim Webb a chance because it was Hillary's election. There is no Hillary in this race. Secondly, though, the thing to consider is that those descriptions, independent-minded, veteran, uh, the other side is not the enemy, they're the opposition, we need to work across the aisle. Gabbard's the only one that sounds like this in this entire field of uh, declared candidates and speculative candidates. At the time I'm recording this, Julian Castro just came in and he's going to call everybody south of him Satan. So just something to consider. Um, there is no Hillary in this race, so she has more of a chance. But the fact that she's not as extreme as the others is going to kind of hurt her. So what should libertarians do about this? I think we have a chance, or as I mentioned earlier, a net gain. She's with us enough, and she might not be libertarian, but she's certainly anti-progressive. And as we've seen in the Trump era, sometimes being anti-progressive is enough to at least get libertarian talking points out when we have the breathing space to actually make good on it. Uh, this is called what my friend Robin Kerner described as the blue Republican strategy. And he devised this around 2011 to try and get Democrats to support Ron Paul in the primaries, not necessarily in the general, but at least in the primaries. And there's a tactic that I have used in the past for primaries and for independent candidates and libertarian candidates that I staffed and managed during my time as a consultant. So let's go ahead and look at Robin Kerner's blue Republican strategy and how it was when he wrote the initial Blue Republican article. I mean, this thing went viral at the Huffington Post back in 2011. 
Uh, the world lost its goodwill toward the U.S. when Americans voted for George W. Bush the second time around. I don't endorse the idea that American politics should be dictated by foreign opinions. When he wrote, when Robin wrote this, he was still a, a Brit. Now he's an American citizen because he's smart. <laughs> I continue. But a reading of the foreign press over the last six years reveals that the first election of President George Bush Jr. was largely excused around the world since no one could have known what this new president was going to do. Moreover, America arguably didn't vote for him anyway in 2000. However, the second election of President Bush was not excused because by 2004, the modus operandi of the Bush administration was clear. He wanted to, one, conduct wars against countries that did not threaten us, Iraq, two, oversee large financial benefits to companies which, with which those in his administration were close to, Dick Cheney and Halliburton, establish a legal framework for writing uh, over the liberties of private individuals who were not suspected of crime, the Patriot Act, and four, establish a massive federal apparatus to carry out such intrusions on innocent Americans in what is becoming the police state, domestic wiretapping, the TSA, etc. So just right there, he's setting the stage for when this was taking place. And you can try and, if you don't like Trump, maybe you can try and, you know, pull some of your own examples together, but I'll let you do that. I'm continuing. The more or less global delight upon Obama's election in 2008 followed largely from the hope that Americans had realized what a mistake they made with Bush's second term and were therefore voting against the egregious actions of the then Republican establishment. The same could be said for Trump in 2016 voting against the establishment then of both parties. I'm continuing. When most Americans voted for hope and change, the above four objectives were at the top of their list of what they hoped would be changed. After two years, however, we now see that Obama conducts wars against countries that do not threaten us, Libya and Yemen, oversees large financial benefits to companies to which those in his administration are close to, Goldman Sachs. Three, supports the legal framework for writing roughshod over the liberties of private individuals who were not suspected of crime, the Patriot Act. And four, is growing a massive federal apparatus to carry out such intrusions on innocent Americans as to what is becoming the police state. Put another way, when it comes to such things as the killing of innocent people, taking from the common man to support cronies, and the elimination of basic values that make our lives worth living, we have the hope, but we haven't the change. I'm going to go ahead and skip a paragraph here. I don't believe that such justifications exist. And he's talking about the rationale that people use to justify most of those actions from both uh, Republican and Democrat administrations. I am having difficulty seeing how a Democrat who voted for Obama, whom I supported for the right reasons in 2008, can in good conscience do so again, given that there is another candidate who has been consistent in his opposition of all those things, not just in words, but in deeds. If you've ever read my other pieces, you already know who he is, but if not, you should also know that Ron Paul, blessed be his name, <laughs> I added that part, sorry, um, has voted to let the states make their own laws on abortion, gay marriage, etc., and let individuals follow their own social conscience, even when he disagrees with them. In other words, he is consistent with his beliefs in civil liberty. 
If you are a Democrat and you sit tight and vote for vote Democrat again because you've always been a Democrat or because you think some group in which you identify with will benefit more from Democrat programs than a Republican one, then that is up to you and I wish you well. But don't you dare pretend that you are motivated primarily by peace, civil rights, or a government that treats people equally. That Ron Paul, who has been standing up for these principles quietly for half a lifetime, happens to be a member of the Republican Party, and is a lot less. And that's a lot less important than the principles that we should be voting on. The fact that he is not a party guy should be obvious from his extensive difference in policy from his party, and the fact that many think, given his views, he should not run as a Republican at all. I'm skipping another paragraph. Uh, now I know that the Republican Party stinks to many Democrats and independents who care about social justice and civil rights. But we all need to be smart and play the system to get the political outcomes we seek. You don't have to like the party or even identify with it to sign up as a Republican for a year to make sure that the Republican primaries are won by the one representative who's always been for peace, has always voted against bailouts, and has always opposed the reach of government into your bedroom and your relationship and your person. And for the record, I was a member of the Libertarian Party from the time I could vote until 2015, and I voted for Senator Ted Cruz in the Republican primary. I went as an independent Libertarian at that point, leaving the Libertarian Party to go work for Tom Garrett, and for at least a term, we gave uh, the 5th District of Virginia and the country one of not only Tulsi Gabbard's greatest allies, but one of the most liberty-minded Republicans in the country. So I'm proof that this strategy works in one way, shape, or form. Uh, continuing... And if you're a Democrat or socially progressive independent, you can't tell me you weren't hoping for all of that from Obama. Perhaps you see too much small-mindedness or mean spirit or religious craziness in the Republican Party. Sure you do. You can find all of them in spades. But since you can't change the Democratic ticket for 2012, why not act where you can make a positive change? This is the important part, folks. Think about this, okay? By telling the Republican Party where you really want it to go, in the direction of peace and liberty— both of which, if you just go back a little way, can be found in the traditions of republicanism. Skipping another paragraph, uh, Ron Paul's electoral weakness is not a difficulty in winning a presidential election. It is in winning a primary in a party with a conservative constituency that includes the religious right and neocons. An influx of peace and freedom-loving independents and Democrats would change the math on the Republican side and potentially the future of America by setting up a presidential contest with a pro-peace, pro-civil rights candidate who could outflank Obama on those issues, at least from the left. Again, this is not an endorsement of the Republican Party or a claim that the Republican record is better than the, any, than the Democrat on any issue uh, discussed in this article. It isn't. It is not even a statement that Dr. Paul is some kind of, uh, you know, strange albatross of American politics. Rather, it is to recognize simply that the one potential presidential candidate who wishes to stop killing innocent people in foreign wars and stop transferring wealth of the wealth from the poor and working Americans to corporate elites happens to be this time around a Republican. It also is to recognize that any other political choice is for a status quo in which all the issues that really matter, war, peace, and civil rights, are settled for the military-industrial complex and the interests of the state over the individual. So what will it be? Same old team allegiance or new blue Republicans? In this case, I'm saying for libertarians specifically, especially libertarian party members, I mean, really, what, what, what do you have to lose at all? 
why not have a blue libertarian strategy? That's where I'm getting at with this. What I, I mean, if you just listen to that, I mean, the times have changed, some of the issues have changed, but a lot of that war, peace, cronyism, civil liberties, an outsider, she might be, and I'm not calling her Ron Paul, but she might be this election's Ron Paul in the situation. Maybe, because... You can do whatever you want in the general, but maybe it'd be better to change the narrative and the conversation with a blue libertarian strategy. Now, to kind of wrap things up, what are we going to see bigly when it comes to progressive opposition? Because it's already coming out. Go on Twitter and uh, look at anything coming from people attacking Tulsi Gabbard. Believe it or not, it's primarily progressives, extreme progressives. Uh, this uh, article is coming from the Jacobin magazine.com so jacobinmag.com it's a open socialist magazine but it's good to understand how the other side thinks they wrote an article uh titled tulsi gabbard oh wait that's not it but let's see what the whole thing was one second okay yeah this is this is it the the jacobin article is titled tulsi gabbard is not your friend and it's a long long article so i highly suggest you read it because i'm only gonna go through enough uh, and let's go ahead and get started. During her 2012 House campaign, uh, she ran ads complaining about endless war. She has called for the pulling out of Afghanistan, the longest war on U.S. history, suggesting that the government invest the money instead in rebuilding our own nation through long-term infrastructure projects. Um, she's opposed U.S. intervention in Syria since 2013, airstrikes in Iraq, and arms sales to Saudi Arabia. She backed Sanders in the Democratic primary because of Clinton's record of supporting interventionist regime change. All this has created the impression that Gabbard, unlike much of the Democratic Party, is anti-war. She's not. And what they do is they go ahead and they basically try and get her on being supposedly anti-Islam because what she is is she's anti-Jihad. Think about it. She's Hindu. Look at look at what's going on between India and Pakistan and how Muslims, if you saw that film, Slumdog Millionaire, who are extreme religious zealots, will go after Hindus. We should probably see that coming, especially when we see what's happened with organizations like ISIS. Um, they go out and they basically start attacking her as, uh, you know, um, a conservative lackey because Breitbart wrote many nice articles because uh, Alan West, former Congressman Alan West, spoke nice about her because she's gotten along so well with Republicans. It's a pretty weak article. In fact, what they try and do is they try and tie her to white supremacism. Uh, at one point, they say Gabbard's brand of anti-interventionism has even been praised uh, by former KKK Grand Wizard David Duke, who called for her to be named Secretary of State. They're trying to reach for anything and everything they possibly can to take her out. You should go read the article. It's incredibly long. I disagree with a lot of it, but this is how they're going to think, and this is what they're going to do. They're going to try and find everything they possibly can to go after her, and they mention the abortion thing and the gay marriage thing as well. Not that that's going to be an issue. I mean, of course, um, you know, abortion will be an issue, but the gay marriage thing is not an issue, but they're going to use that as a way to try and discredit her. My thing is this, uh, do I want Tulsi Gabbard to be president? Not really. I kind of like what we're getting right now, and you might disagree with me, but I do think what we can agree on is this, especially as libertarians, whether you're a libertarian in the Republican Party, a big L libertarian, or an independent libertarian, I think a blue libertarian strategy is what we need to push for. 
whether it lasts a few months of the whole time going up into the convention or not, what we need to understand is this. What we have is an opportunity to push the narrative in our direction. We don't lose from that. What you see whenever someone else becomes president is that libertarians lose some, libertarians gain some. Same goes for Ronald Reagan. He was not a perfect libertarian either. Went ahead and deregulated a lot, espoused a lot of libertarian virtue, but what did we get? We got um, a lot of out-of-control deficit spending that happened constantly. Uh, No government agency was actually abolished or downside downsized i mean at the office of personnel management under daniel devine they did limit they did bring down the federal workforce but then you look at things like the assault rifle ban and we consider reagan to be perfect here's the thing we're never going to get perfect um it's just not going to happen but we can push further i think we're better now than what we would have gotten if anything i mean can you imagine i supported ted cruz i don't imagine ted cruz calling out nato calling out other leaders meeting with north korea doing half the things that trump did i don't and i've never supported rand paul um in terms of you know when he ran for president but could you imagine rand paul doing any of that no because at the end of the day remember rand paul much like every other politician We're still taking the Amtrak train from Washington over to Wall Street to try and get some money from the bankers. They all do. Gabbard's probably going to do that. I'm not painting her out to be a saint. I can tell you that, uh, Miss, I I hate the banks. (laughs) Um, Elizabeth Warren might be doing that, too. And remember, a big big union, like what we saw at Bernie Sanders, a big union is no different than a big bank or what have you because they're still taking money one way or another, and they could be as just of a big uh, deciding factor in terms of the financial aspects of a race as anything else. I mean, look at at the money that Sanders got from the unions in 2016. It was pretty insane. It matched that of what Hillary was getting in terms of uh, her Wall Street aid from Goldman Sachs and the like. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, I don't, one, I don't think she's going to get the Democratic nomination, but I can tell you that I do plan when the Democratic primary comes around here in Virginia, if she stays in that long, Assuming she stays in that long, if she does, she will be getting my vote because she get she is a net worth for liberty. She's pushing against the Republican establishment. She's pushing against the Democratic establishment, much like Walter Block's reasons for libertarians for Trump. I do believe that foreign policy is the big issue, um, you know, not just for the lies and the morality of it, but also the fact that you could bring this up to your Republican friends who are broke. Use this argument. We're twenty trillion in the hole. How much spending do we? putting foreign aid and bombs and everything else. Why? I mean, how can we spend more money that we don't have? She is going to bring that discussion to the table. I don't think Trump is going to be challenged. If he is challenged, I doubt foreign policy is going to be one of those issues. But I think libertarians, if we try our, let's call it the blue libertarian strategy, I think we can get at least the civil liberties aspect the foreign policy aspect advanced in a way which will probably exceed that of what we saw in 2016 since it was really at the end of the day it was always going to be a jeb versus clinton election obviously things worked out differently but a lot of important topics to libertarians fell wayside for that so 
what, what do you have to lose? And, you know, go ahead and if you go to anchor.fm and you go to my uh, show channel, you can drop me a message. Leave me a message. Tell me if you think I'm right. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Are you a Democrat? Who are you supporting? Are you a Republican? Are you going to try this uh, blue libertarian strategy that the blue Republican himself, Robin Kerner, tried in 2012? It didn't work then, but what if it works now? What do we have to lose when freedom is on the line? Go ahead and find me on Twitter at Remso4VA, Instagram, Remso, the number 4VA. And let me tell you, folks, I, I'll keep jumping on this, but I think even if you think I'm loony, if you, even if you think I've lost it with this, I think Tulsi Gabbard is someone that you need to pay attention to. It's just a gut feeling. What if it turns out to be nothing? You lost nothing. This was a good thought experiment. But what if, what if something good comes out of it? What if she gets the nomination? Huh, wouldn't that be crazy? What if she debates Trump on this? And then Trump will obviously beat her because he's been campaigning since the day after the 2016 election. He'll, he'll beat anybody, but he'll beat her. What if she pushed him in a way forces him to take a more libertarian stance on things. Do you see what I'm getting at? Do you see where I'm getting at? What do we have to lose? Vote for her in the primary, then vote however you want in the general. But this might be the chance to make a statement. This might be the chance to make a point. This might be the chance that we might not ever get again. Who knows? The aliens could come down next month. It could be invaded by China and turn into that film Red Dawn. I don't know. I like to think and I like to do and I like to get these opportunities to talk with you. Go ahead and find everything else that we're discussing, old episodes, new articles, over at my column at Anne's Magazine. I'm finally back in the journalism game again, folks, at least on a part-time basis. And my own website, rwmartinez.com. I'm Remso W. Martinez. This is the Remso Martinez Experience. I will talk to you next time, folks. Take care.